The Old Testament reading for this, the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the prophet Amos, the 6th chapter. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. And this is the word of the Lord. He will command his angels concerning you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The epistle reading comes from Paul's first letter to Timothy, the sixth chapter. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. 
Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, where I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. At the time of our Old Testament reading, everything looked great for Israel. The economy was strong, there was a time of peace, and everyone was happy. Well, the rich people, the politicians, the leaders of the country were happy at least, and that's really what mattered, right? Israel's culture... It was open-minded. It was accepting. It was affirming of all people. Words like sin and condemnation were considered intolerant. And everybody was free to be who they want to be. People lived in comfort and opulence, affirming one another's personal choices and reassuring each other that all was good in the world, that God loved them and everything was great. To the outsider... Israel looked like some sort of heaven on earth, this progressive, forward-thinking nation that was doing everything right and reaping great benefits for it. But while everything looked peachy on the outside, inside, it was the pits. As happens far too often, with earthly leisure and riches came spiritual laziness and decay. The people had turned away from God's holy word, and they didn't see any need to follow all those silly rules. Times have changed, they told the world and themselves. We know better now. We have better ways. We don't need those stuffy old traditions and rules and social taboos anymore. God is our friend. He's our buddy, our homeboy. He's cool with anything we want to do. He's enlightened us to understand his word in light of our current times because we're way smarter than those old people were way back then. He wouldn't let anything bad happen to us. We're Israel, his chosen people. Whatever we do is automatically right. They were calling good evil and evil good. They were worshiping false gods. They were oppressing the poor, ignoring the spiritual rot within their country. They were filling their lives with sexual sin and perversion, and all the while claiming that it was a good thing. 
But guess what? God was not okay with all the sin and wretchedness that filled their lives. Whatever they chose to do was not right just because they wanted it to be. In fact, God was more than displeased with their wicked ways. He was angry. His wrath was about to come down upon his own people to chastise them for their sin, to discipline them and bring them back to their senses. But he was doing this out of love, not out of hate. And so rather than just wipe them out as they deserved, he warns them of the impending disasters. Like a parent telling their disobedient child that they are going to count to five, God comes to his people through the prophet Amos, and he gives them a stern warning, a chance to change their ways before the disasters fall upon them. Israel assumed that since they were fat and comfortable now, they always would be. God dispels that notion in no uncertain terms. He warns them that their evil ways will lead only to disaster and ruin. He reminds them of other great cities and empires that thought they could thumb their nose at God and do whatever they wanted. He tells Israel, pass over to Kelna and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Do you remember those places? No, you don't. Because even at the time of Amos, those once great civilizations, they lay in ruins. God says, these mighty nations did what you are doing. They did what they thought was right, and they disregarded my word. They thought they would go on forever, and look at them now. Do you want to be like that, he says. The warning that God gave Israel through Amos was stern and harsh and unquestionable. For all their luxuries and gluttony, for all their double talk about redefining sin and being an enlightened culture, for all their absolute confidence that they were in the right and nothing bad could come of their actions, God comes to remind them, you are not safe. Ancient Israel wasn't all that different from our culture today. Sure, we have computers and way better cell coverage now, but our sinful hearts and desires, they have persisted for generations. We, too, want to do away with God's word and, and rules. We, too, want to oppress the poor and gain whatever we can for ourselves. We, too, sit in safety and luxury, thinking that we are blessed and protected by God because we are such super swell people. We think we can reinterpret God's word to make it fit our lifestyle, that we're so much more enlightened than those silly Christians who believed in sin. We think that whatever we call right is obviously right. Like Israel, we all have neglected God's word and turn to our own ways, deciding that we're smarter than God, that he needs to get hip with the times. And as we sit in safety and comfort and luxury, we tell ourselves that we're obviously doing the right thing because we've been so blessed. Look at how comfy our lives are. God is our friend. He's our buddy. And he's cool with anything we do. He wouldn't let anything bad happen to us. We're Christians. We're his chosen people, and anything we do is always right. Through the prophet Amos, God had a clear message for his people in Israel way back then. And the message was, you are not safe. 
through that same prophet, God has a clear message for us today as well. You are not safe. All the disasters and the strife, all the bad things that you assume won't ever affect you, they can. Earthly disasters, they can just as easily happen right here in rural Iowa. We tell ourselves, oh, we never need fear earthquakes or hurricanes here. But there's fires, there's floods, blizzards, house fires, drought. All sorts of terrible things could happen to us at any time. Add to that man-made disasters, chemical spills, terrorism, crime, car accidents, financial collapse. Any of these things could very quickly turn our lives upside down with no warning whatsoever. And all the comfort that we put our trust in can be gone like that. As Christians, we sometimes assume that a strong enough faith is going to keep all of these things out of our lives. That we'll live in this magic God bubble if we believe enough and nothing bad can ever get in to hurt us. But God never promised that. God promises to be with us through everything, that he will provide all that we need. But he does not promise his people a cushy life of luxury while disaster lays waste to the world around us. In fact, he pretty much promises that as believers in an unbelieving world, we are going to suffer more. Not by his hand, but by the world around us. When we stand up for our faith, we will be driven down. Now here too, we might assume that we're safe. That we live in a nation where we are protected from Christian persecution. But here too... God's message comes along to dispel our imaginary paradise and remind us, you are not safe. Persecution of Christians, it is happening right now. We certainly give thanks that as of yet we are not facing daily beheadings and death threats for our Christian faith. But look what's happening right here in our own country. Bakers and pizza shops are attacked, financially ruined for standing up for their Christian beliefs. Fire chiefs and judges are removed from their positions because they dare to live out their Christian faith. Religious freedoms are trampled on in the name of tolerance and acceptance by people who are utterly intolerant and unaccepting of anyone different from them. In our own lives, we face being called names and being social outcasts as if we're a little bit too open about our faith and our morals. We're told to keep the peace and just don't talk politics or religion with family and friends. We know that if we disagree with certain people, we could face problems at work, at school, even in our own families. And so we put our faith aside. We quiet down. And while all of this is bad enough, remember God's warning. You are not safe. Real persecution, genuine persecution could spring up at any time. Within your lifetime, it may well be illegal for us to gather together like this. Some of us in this room may well be called upon to give our lives rather than turn away from the truth of Christianity. In earthly terms, though we thank God for our current comfort and safety, we must heed his warning. You are not safe. But more than just a reminder about temporal dangers, the warning that God delivers through Amos is far more about the spiritual dangers. At the root of all the problems of Israel, 
At the root of all our own problems lies one thing, sin, disobedience to God's will. As God's people, sometimes we forget just how bad sin really is. We fall into the trap of cheap grace. We say, hey, Jesus is going to forgive us anyway. We abuse Martin Luther's misused statement of sin boldly, and we grow comfortable with sin in our lives. We start out knowing it's wrong, feeling bad about it, and then we start to think, well, we're not really hurting anyone, and it's not all that bad, especially since everybody else is doing it. And then we start to embrace that sin and tell people and ourselves that it really isn't sin at all. And before long, we are actively promoting it as something that is good and right and totally in line with God's word, encouraging others to join us in our filthy, wretched sin. And so in grace, in mercy, in love, our Heavenly Father comes to us to remind us, to warn us, you are not safe. When you become comfortable with sin, it overtakes you. When you reject God's word and choose the way of the world instead, you reject his forgiveness. When you embrace sin, you tell Jesus that you don't want or need his redemption, that you prefer the ways of the world to his way of righteousness. When you stop calling the sin what it truly is, the work of the devil that is worthy of eternal condemnation, we put ourselves in a very dangerous situation of false safety, assuming that whatever we want to do is fully endorsed by God, putting our ways and our sinful desires ahead of his holy and eternal word. The message that Amos delivers, it is not a popular one. And it's kind of a scary one. You are not safe. You are not safe from earthly disaster. You are not safe from persecution. And you are not safe from God's wrath if you accept sin. If you are looking to the ways of the world, if you are looking to your own strength, you are not safe. But the message of Amos, it's not just doom and gloom either. Because in that warning, we also see grace and mercy. God does not want us to perish. And so he doesn't just smite us out of hand, even though we absolutely deserve it. He does warn us. He does call out to us. He does preserve his word for us so that we can hear his, warning, his warnings from generation to generation. And when we recognize just how unsafe we truly are on our own, when we see that sin in our life for what it truly is, he takes us in his loving arms and he gives us real safety. Because he and he alone can give us that. It's not the riches that we have. It's not the world around us. It's not our political system, our government, or anything of this world that can give us safety. It is God alone, and he willingly, graciously gives us that. The sin that fills your life, it has been defeated by Jesus Christ. He gives us the strength and the will to resist that sin, to see that it is indeed wicked and wrong. He gives us a hunger for his word to look at the culture around us and say something doesn't seem right and to look instead to his word, compare it and say where it conflicts, God's word is correct. 
Now this doesn't mean that it's easy to resist sin. Or that if your faith is strong enough, you won't ever sin again. But God has granted us the grace to recognize how destructive and evil our sin is. And he has given us the ability and the desire to turn away from it. To not let it rule our lives as a slave master anymore. But even when we fail, even when we willingly run headlong into that sin, he forgives us. He washes us clean by his own precious blood. It's not our own strength that defeats sin within our hearts. It's not justifying ourselves and claiming sin isn't really sin. It is the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ alone that brings us safety. Sin's power is great, and on our own, we are enslaved to it. When we try to pretend that sin isn't real, that we can do whatever we want, we're only compounding our sin and calling God a liar. But through his sacrificial death, through his humbling himself to come to us in the flesh and put himself in our place beneath his own holy law, Jesus Christ's forgiveness is greater than our sin. When we humbly come before God and repent, when we acknowledge that we are indeed poor, miserable sinners who deserve nothing but death and condemnation, we receive mercy and grace and forgiveness from our loving Heavenly Father. We are strengthened to continue to struggle with our sin rather than give in to it and lie down in it and say, well, this is just the way it is. But most importantly, we are cleansed of our sin fully, instantly, completely. Not by our efforts, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. By his atoning sacrifice, by the payment that he has made on our behalf, we are made right with God. This is how we know that we have real safety, even in the face of persecution in this world. Not that we'll necessarily be spared from any kind of earthly strife. God's love is not displayed in earthly luxury and comfort. His people will suffer because we are sinners and we live in a sinful world that hates his word. But we know that even through persecution, God strengthens our faith. He strengthens the confession of the church and he keeps us in spiritual safety. We don't pray to be persecuted. We don't look out for or we don't desire it. But we know that if we are, God is with us. And even through persecution, we know that God will bring about good. As we stand firm in the faith, even amid persecution, that is a bold witness to the world that says we have something that is worth even more than life itself. As we pray for forgiveness for those who persecute us, as we continue to reach out to them in faith and love as they hate us, the world sees and God's kingdom grows. Even through earthly disasters, God can bring about good. Here, too, we don't pray for disasters to befall our lives so we have a chance to show the world. But when they do, we know that God provides. Not always in riches and luxury. Not always in comfort and safety and peace. Not always in the ways that we assume are best. Our way of life, it may change drastically. Our entire nation may fall to pieces. And yet, God protects us. He keeps us. 
He gives us what we truly need. He gives us opportunity to share our faith with others, even if it means that we lose our lives here on earth. Because even if that happens, even if everything we have is taken away, we have lost nothing. Because by grace, through faith, we know the promises of God. And we know that we gain eternal life in paradise. Not because we've perfectly driven out sin in our lives, but because Jesus Christ has perfectly forgiven us of all of our sins, has cleansed us completely with his own precious blood, has graciously given us that which we could never earn for ourselves. Here on earth, dear Christian, you are not safe. You are not safe from earthly disaster. You are not safe from persecution. And you most certainly are not safe from sin. Too often, we like Israel, we will revel in our luxuries and assume that no harm could ever befall us. Everything will always be good in our lives. And whatever we do, it is going to be blessed by the hand of God. But thanks be to God for his eternal love that prompts him to send us that warning that we don't like to hear that we so desperately need. You are not safe. For by that warning we are reminded that God's love endures even when disaster strikes. By that warning we are reminded of the pernicious evil that sin seeks to fill our lives with. And by that warning we are reminded of the love and mercy and grace that our Heavenly Father has for us. On our own, we are not safe. We are not on our own. For God is with us always, guiding us, guarding us, forgiving us. Even if we lose all our earthly belongings, even if we lose our very life, we still have a treasure that is far greater than this world could ever give us. On our own, we are not safe. But in mercy, in grace, in the comfort of God, you have real safety. Because in His cross, in his empty tomb, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.